I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. I have really good news. (laughs) So the first good news, for those who've been following what's been going on with this channel, I'm live streaming right now. Like this is not pre-recorded. I'm actually doing this live. Um, my internet tells me that this, the stream connection is not super good, so I'm sorry for that. I'm doing my best here. Um, let me update you on exactly what's going on. If you are not up to date, here's what happened. Um, I put up a video on YouTube dealing with a group called the Hebrew Roots Movement, and I dealt with it like as an in-house discussion between Christians dealing with a question of theology, right? Um, there's nothing in it that was problematic as far as YouTube's concerned, generally speaking, but that YouTube video was taken down off of YouTube. Um, It was deleted. And then my channel received a content strike, but I wasn't sure why. The the answer was very confusing as to why. So I appealed the strike and said, hey, I don't think that this is is correct. And YouTube upheld the strike. Now, in the course of this process, it doesn't just take people flagging your video. It's supposed to take two different human beings who review the content, who are trained and trusted by YouTube, who say, you know, no, Mike's video definitely violated guidelines. But not knowing what guideline I violated, I was unsure as to, like, how to keep this from happening again. Um, unfortunately, though, feeling that uh, I I had been wronged, not like I'm hurt or offended in that sense, but but that this was not correct to take my video down and and limit my streaming abilities for three months and potentially lead to the deletion of my channel if this happens two more times because three strikes and you're out. Um, I tried to appeal to YouTube and found no recourse, no way to contact them, no way to touch base with them. And the emails I did send and the tweets I sent were left unanswered. They were just ignored. So I came to you guys and I said, hey, um, if you want this channel to continue producing content, I think I need your help. You sprung to action and you blew up Twitter by by sending YouTube tons of tweets saying, hey, please look at this content. You were gracious and you were respectful um, of, towards basically being a good representative of Christianity. And you said, hey, YouTube, please take a second look at this. If Mike did something wrong, show him what it is so he won't do it again. If If not, please restore his channel and his video. Well, it's been a couple days and uh, I woke up this morning and found out that the video had been restored. The Hebrew Roots video is now online. You can actually, it's in the video description here. You can look at it if you'd like now, and uh, it's getting views again. Um, And my channel has full streaming abilities and everything's like hunky-dory basically to to tell you that I'm actually, I'm older than I really am. I say things like hunky-dory. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you. You you did this. Um, I don't know the details because I don't get a whole lot of information. But let me let me show you. This is what I found. Um, oh, it's on one of these. There it is. This is the tweet that YouTube sent me. So they said uh, from Team YouTube. That's the people you were tweeting um, hundreds of times, as far as what I can tell. Your video was mistakenly removed. It's been reinstated. For background, we count on our community to flag content they believe violates our policies. Occasionally, a video flagged by users is mistakenly taken down. When this happens, we try to reverse it as quickly as possible. And then, I, of course, is just very grateful. Um, and 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 I tweeted this out. If, if I could scroll up, I'd show you. I tweeted this out and said, thank you very much at Team YouTube. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everybody who did this. So I am just stoked. This is really great news. Um, I will be doing the live streams as normal, as, as my normal routine is. So I'll be up with you guys this week for the live stream. Um, in fact, this week, probably I'll just do a QA. and um, I will be doing a little Q&A today. So you can actually put some questions in. I didn't do a Q&A on Tuesday. And so here's like a little moment. 
uh, where if you have a question, whether it's related to this issue or if it's related to maybe something else, go ahead and toss it into the uh, live chat right now. Put the letter Q in front of that question so that we know it's a question amongst all the chat that's going on there. We can kind of have it stand out. If you have a question about theology, apologetics, a question about the Christian faith, put that in there. I'll answer them right now for you. But let me give you a little more details. Um, first off, I'll say this. As I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you you're, you didn't just do tweets. You guys sent emails and faxes and snail mail. I mean, I had people sending me photos of the mail that they were sending into YouTube. And um, and now I want to say, stop. <laughs> like, you can stop. We um that that's that's been taken care of and this problem's been solved and i hope that this you know gives me a, a greater i don't know ability in the future to appeal things i don't know how that all works but um but at any rate thank you very much i also want to say this i don't honestly know why this happened they didn't basically here's what we know we know that um anybody can flag a video but B YouTube also knows anyone can flag a video. So is it possible people from, say, one of these movements, the Hebrew Roots movements, that a group of them, maybe even a small group or a big group, got mad and just flagged my video in mass? It's possible, but that still shouldn't bring it down. Supposedly, a person's going to look at it and review it. And that's what got me. I was like, why would a person reviewing it still take it down? Well, they did take it down, and that's the mystery. Um, YouTube, uh, another tweet they gave me said that they were they were going to talk with the people who reviewed the video. So to maybe maybe they'll make them go through the training again, or maybe they'll remove their ability to do this thing. I don't know what they'll do. Um, that's up to them. It's not up to me, anyways. Um, so I want to say this though. Um, some people were pretty upset at individuals from say whether it's One Nineteen Ministries. We don't know that they were involved in this, um, or if it's or if it's he the Hebrew Roots movement, some people in it. Look, here's my attitude towards them, and I want it to be your attitude towards them. Um, love those, right, who who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That's that's the attitude we should have. I want to say this, that I, I'm not offended, and I don't care. And I want to outreach to that community, and I want to, I want to say, hey, let's instead of getting mad and fighting like that, let's just talk about the scripture and what is a real and true understanding of what the Bible's really telling us, because that's something we can agree on is that we're going to actually obey what this says. So that's where the conversation is going to lead. I will do more videos on this movement and on the, the topic of whether we should obey the law of Moses, but I'm going to have to wait a little bit on that because this has kind of set me back in my studies. I have like kind of a schedule I need to keep right now. I'm preparing for a debate with Matt Dillahunty, and that's going to focus on the resurrection. So my Tuesday live stream content for a little while now is going to be focused on topics related to the resurrection of Christ and evidence for the resurrection and things that are kind of sort of secondarily connected to that issue. So that, that's what I'll be focusing on. Um, and then after that debate with Matt Dillahunty, I will come back to this topic and I will do more teaching on, um, on what is the new covenant? Um, should we obey the law of Moses? What did they, what did the early church do? What did Jesus teach? What about the Pauline epistles and the things that he wrote? Um, and all those kinds of things, a bunch of questions I'll be answering there. So, um, yeah, that's 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 my main announcement to make today. And I want to take your guys' questions if you have some. It's just going to be a really short stream. I just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to show you that this has worked. And uh, we can all stop sending tweets to YouTube now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't uh, don't know don't know more details than that. But I can tell you um, one other announcement. And I'll make up this announcement in a more official way, probably in a video at some point. But um, I am. I, for the first time ever, I'm, I'm putting on my website, BibleThinker.org, I'm putting a little donate button there, and that is so that I can try to be transitioning to full-time 
online ministry. That's the goal. That's the direction I hope to go. And that's, in all honesty, it's where I'm having more impact than I ever have in my entire life. I have more impact on a weekly basis in, in one week of doing this online ministry than I, I think I've been able to have in years of doing other things. So I, I think to seek first the kingdom of God, I should focus on it. I should make it my my main thrust and focus, but that's going to require um, trying to be supported through this ministry. So I've put a donate button on the site. If you want to support this, if, if you're interested, feel under no obligation. Feel free to continue just freely taking in the content. I don't want you to feel guilty about that at all. That's the point. I want to produce free content, right? That's the whole goal. But if you'd like to support it, you can you can check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, AJ, if you have a chance, go ahead and... Uh, oh, it looks like you're already sending me things. So he's sending me some uh, some questions. So let me go ahead and answer your guys' questions. Here we go. From Star Welters, it says, uh, talk about accusations of heresy between brothers. Um, uh, that's an interesting and expansive topic. Accusations of heresy between brothers. Um, I think in all honesty that the there's on there's two let's say there's two extremes right on one extreme we we never deal with heresy we don't rebuke it we don't confront it and then we end up in my opinion betraying christ i'm I'm being very honest here i think we're betraying jesus christ if we don't call out false teaching when we see it on the other hand there's those who become unnecessarily divisive and even in their calling out of error, they're not inviting people to truth. They're just bashing error. My goal is always invitational. At least I try to rem- rem- remind myself of this. Even when I'm saying, hey, that's wrong, I'm always inviting the people in that camp over to this camp, right? Hey, your theology's off. I want you into this camp. The secondary thing I would say is this. Um, we, uh, we differentiate between minor and major issues in the Christian faith. If it's a false gospel, it doesn't get any bigger than that, right? Huge issue. I will I will literally divide a church on that topic. And I'm doing that because I love people and because I love God. If it's not the gospel, though, if it's a secondary issue, we're talking about speaking in tongues or we're talking about, um, uh, I mean, like gifts of the spirit is definitely one of these issues. Uh, and a discussion between Calvinists and non-Calvinists or Arminians um, or traditionalists or different names you have for these groups. To me, this is in-house discussions, and I am not going to divide over those issues. I will talk to them the way I talk to my brother who I, I disagree with, but I realize it's not it's not the gospel at stake. So I, I, there's a couple thoughts on that. Um, once we start name-calling each other and digging into digging our trenches and we start lobbing grenades at each other, that that's the wrong way to do it. If we do divide, we should be principled and thoughtful, not emotional and angry. My At least me, because I don't do anger right. When I'm angry, I do it wrong. Um, God has righteous anger, but I, I don't. <laughs> so yeah, generally speaking, um, Michael Geiger says, do you think, uh, you were being attacked? Um, I mean, there's, there's one of two ways with it, with the video that was taken down. And then there's one of two ways that happened. One, a, a group of people who are probably from the movement that, that I'm speaking about, they got upset and then they started flagging in mass my content. That's possible. The other way though, is this, see, there's a completely inhuman way of getting, you know, content taken off the internet. And it's basically algorithms that scrub through data and they go, we think this data fits these categories and therefore we're, we're flagging it through an algorithm. I don't know which one happened with my video. So I I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Most people are assuming it was, it was people in, in the Hebrew roots movement. Uh, And they, and you may be right, but because I don't know, I don't want to go there uh, personally. Um, And I don't care. I just don't care. If you're mad at me, I'm, 
I'm not mad at you. I don't care. Uh, but I hope you'll hear me and I can communicate truth to you and share things to think about at least. Consider this. You know, here's the scripture. What is it saying? Let's follow Christ. Uh, that would be my attitude. Um, Holly Ann says, will you please do a video on the book of Job? Um, oh, wow. That would be, gosh, that, that would, I could do one video. I could do lots of videos on the book of Job. Um, I'll definitely think about it, Holly Ann. Um, and maybe in the course of years, eventually I'll get there, but I don't know how soon. Um, Julie Jones says, do you think 1 Corinthians 13, the latter half, refers to the completed canon? Um, no, I don't. Let me bring you guys in on this, okay? Because this issue is related to, I think, if I understand your question correctly, is related to cessationism. So the latter part of 1 Corinthians 13, it says here, uh, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect comes. That's the question is, what does the perfect coming mean? Some think it refers to the canon of scripture, that once the writings of the New Testament were done, the perfect had come, and therefore prophecy and tongues and knowledge in the sense of a word of knowledge, those things had passed away. So then this is part of a, a, a case for cessationism. I don't think so, because as I keep reading, the perfect coming doesn't seem to describe the Bible as being completed. So in verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Then it continues for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What's the then face to face. It's the same thing as when the perfect comes. Well, he's, and he's like, when that comes, then we'll be seeing God face to face. Okay. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Okay. That's why I don't need gifts of knowledge. Cause I will have this full knowledge. Um, so th these things are um, are speaking of the eternal state when we're in the presence of God. I don't think it has anything to do with um, the scriptures, although the Bible, the word of God is perfect, but it's in a very different kind of sense. So there's, that's that question. Um, Daniel Duke says, I would like to know more about what re um, Revelation says about earth, the new heaven and earth. Um, hey, Daniel. Um, uh the way I see the book of Revelation, I see a lot of it as future actual things that will happen. I, I I think it still is a lot of symbolism in there, but I think it's symbolizing something like this will actually happen. And so when it talks about the, the new heavens and the new earth, I think that connects with what Peter wrote in First Peter about how the first heaven and earth will be burned up and then will, uh, there'll be a new one made wherein righteousness dwells. So I think that... Um, the what revelation just give you kind of overview my my opinion here the over my overview is that the book of revelation describes that um while all of creation has fallen read romans 8 it all groans with labor pains waiting for the revealing of the sons of man there's or the son of god excuse, sons of god excuse me um there's this future time coming where god will uh just basically remove and replace all of creation, as far as the physical universe, that sort of stuff. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. That's kind of like a Hebrew way of saying universe, heavens and earth. That's all of it. That's everything. And righteousness will dwell there. And that's the description we have in Revelation. And then the big focus of the new heavens and new earth is that God and man are dwelling together with no separations, no divisions between us. That's the big revelation. So then we have after the creation of the heaven and earth, we have this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God. And so you have this idea of heaven and earth meeting permanently. That's the, the unity of heaven and earth. We have God's very presence here with us living eternally while there is still like time going by and activities. And it's not 
harps and clouds, right? It's a new heaven and a new earth where God is with us in the fullest possible sense. I think that the passage I read in 1 Corinthians 13 connects to that. We will see him face to face. We will know him as we are known and just this amazing stuff. Um, I hope that helps. Um, but uh, but yeah. Number six, Jeremy uh, Hattestein says, in regards to the Hebrew roots movement, should we still uphold the law as Jesus followed the law and was sinless? Not that our salvation is found in that. Um, so th- to me, this is the big question, right? So there's two issues. One is like, hey, are you going to tell me I have to obey the law? or I'm not saved. Okay, that is a major problem, right? But a lot of people in the Hebrew Roots movement aren't saying that. They're saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't save you. We just think you're supposed to uphold the law and you're supposed to follow the law of Moses. And I think that the answer is that we're not even supposed to. Um, or, or maybe a more nuanced answer would be, we do fulfill the law, but we don't fulfill it directly. We fulfill it indirectly. We fulfill the law by walking in the spirit. Because in the spirit, I'm fulfilling the heart of what God wants man to do. So I'm walking in the fullness of obedience to God. And the law is an extension of that, but I'm following the heart of it. So the spirit, not the letter. Scripture talks about the spirit versus the letter. I follow the spirit of the law. And we do this when I read the Old Testament. I'm like, what's the spirit behind this teaching that he has for Israel here? I want to learn from that. I want to walk in that. But I'm not obeying the letter of the law, so to speak. So there's another way we fulfill the law not just through our actions of walking in love, then love fulfills the law, but um, but also through the action of walking uh, in faith. I'm simply trusting in Christ and he fulfilled the law on my behalf. So he, he fulfills it. So when I trust in Jesus, he's my Passover sacrifice. Well, I'm not offering a Passover sacrifice. Jesus is my sacrifice. So in an indirect way, that's a fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice. Um, the same thing with the Day of Atonement or these other these other things. So in a sense, I'm walking in fulfillment of the original intention of the law. I'm just not walking in letter by letter obedience to the law. And I hope that helps. There is a difference here. And the New Testament, I think, supports this. Um, I will do a a much more in detail teaching on this um, in the coming months, though. Um, Let's see. Sarah Zimmerman says, um, hi, Sarah. By by the way, Sarah is one of my new moderators. I appreciate you being there, Sarah. Um, Thanks for helping us out. I'm so excited they removed the strike. Me too. Very excited. Uh, please give me a biblical advice on how not to be lazy about cleaning my house when I get home from a long day of work. My house is a mess. <laughs> this is like practical Christianity is what it is, right? Um, I guess what I would suggest is um, uh, biblical advice is is about motivation. Whatever you do, do it under the Lord. And if if when you get home and you're thinking, you know, do I want to clean my house? And you're like, well, it's more important to me to not ha- to not do anything than it is to have a clean house right now. But if instead you think about it like this and you think, you know, I want to honor God with the blessings and the provision he's given me in my life. And part of that is taking care of it. I want to bless my family. I'll clean my house and I'll do it out of love. I'll do it because of love for God and love for people. And if you can see the cleaning as an act of love for those people and for God, then I think it will help with the whole motivation thing. The other thought is... uh, don't sit down. <laughs> Total practical advice, right? And when I get home from especially a long day, if I just get right to work when I get home, this is just practical as me, then it helps. But if I sit down for a while, then it sometimes is a little harder to do it. But I don't know if that's good advice or not. Just a thought. Um, Austin Avenaki says, uh, hey, Mike, um, could you do a video on the analysis of true discipleship as Jesus teaches? 
Also, any idea when the video on hell might have come out, uh, might be coming out? Well, two questions there. Let's see. Um, a video on the analysis of tr what's true discipleship as Jesus teaches. That sounds like a really interesting video. Um, I think right now my, my schedule is super booked out with future video content, but I will try to keep it in mind. And when I get done here, I'll write it in my list for future videos because I do like the idea. Yeah. What did Jesus mean when he told us to be disciples or to make disciples? Um, the second question on a video on hell, that's probably late this year, but I think it'll be this year. And I want to do at least one video, maybe a few, because I think honest, straightforward answers that are biblically faithful on the topic are really good and healthy for us. Um, uh, from Jeremy Hattestein, it says, should a pastor call out another pastor as a heretic? I think um, it just depends in a whole bunch of things, you know, is... Is that pastor known to his congregation? Is he influencing the congregation? Okay, well, then I have a responsibility to protect these people. Sometimes that means calling them out. Um, if they're not known, and there's people who, like when Rob Bell went full on heresy, I didn't even talk to my church about it because they were not being influenced by him. They weren't even aware of the guy. So I didn't have to have that conversation. But if they were reading his books and being influenced by him, then I would want to talk about it, you know? I think that part of it has to do with that. Like I, I have a job as, a, as a, to protect and care for the, the sheep. Um, which I'm a sheep too, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I do have that task. Um, so yeah, it, it just depends. It also depends on the, the degree of the heresy. How bad is the, the false teaching and what impact will it have on people? And what is it saying about God? Kind of a complicated issue to deal with. Um, Austin also asks, uh, what are your top suggested books for sources for apologetics and evangelism? And aloha from Hawaii. Aloha. Um, I've been over to Kauai a couple times, twice actually. Um, beautiful island. Um, sources for apologetics. Okay, guys, since you're watching me online, you guys are like online people. I love gotquestions.org. That is a great site because they have so many questions and it's well constructed. It's easily searchable, finding what you want. And in my opinion, the stuff I've seen from them has generally been well researched, but don't take anybody like they're the Bible, but take it as a, as a resource. I know Stand to Reason has tons of content and they're working on creating a new website that will improve the accessibility of that content um, online. Um, so there's that as well. Uh, Carm.org, uh, they had some weird hacking issues in the past, but they also have a really good site, good, good site with lots of good content on their Matt Slick's website. Um, that's C-A-R-M.org. Um, as far as books go, I think it kind of varies. You know, it's like what kind of apologetics you're looking for equals what kind of book. So um, I liked... Uh, reasons uh, josh mcdowell's reasons i like norm geisler's uh answers to skeptics gosh what was it called when, when skeptics ask and then he wrote a book called when critics ask although they redid one of those books and changed the title so i don't remember off the top of my head um if it's biblical textual issues that's all there's also stuff by um uh well, that's the Wing Critics Ask book. Anyway, there's a lot of other stuff out there. You, once you start looking at these, you can then check even their footnotes. Well, what books are they using to get this content from? And then you can continue getting those. So there's a couple ideas for you. Um, let's see, whose question did I read last? I probably should move a little faster. Um, okay, from uh, Gutrog2. <laughs> Gutrog2. Um, sound like you do like uh, RPGs. <laughs> You probably don't, but but uh, but I know people who do. So once baptized, if you sin, do you in a sense lose the security you had from the baptism? Um, in my opinion, baptism doesn't give me security in the first place. Um, and so I don't think you gain or lose 
anything you get from your baptism in that. I think baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. I think it's important. I think we're all commanded to do it. But I don't think that it like secures my salvation or like puts a stamp on me of, of safety in Christ or something like that. I think the thing that does that is I just put faith in Christ and he does it. And when we baptize people, we're baptizing people who are putting faith in Christ. So it's an outward recognition of an inward reality. Um, so, yeah, I think the other issue of if you sin, I say, read first John, you know, brethren, I write these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so read first John chapter two um, and and know that what secures our salvation is the righteousness of Jesus, not the righteousness of you. That's a big deal. M. Yang says, what are your thoughts on Christian celibacy and the sex scandal of the Catholic Church, mainly the emerging news of sexual slave abuse of nuns? I haven't honestly looked much into that stuff. Sometimes I see those headlines and I don't dig into it deeply, um, partially because it's just so unpleasant <laughs> to read about. Um, but, uh, but what are my thoughts on Christian celibacy? I think Christian celibacy is a glorious thing, but let me give a word of caution, like a pastoral word of caution. First um, Corinthians 7 says something very clearly. It says that it's actually, okay, we know marriage is wonderful, right? But it says that between marriage and singleness, singleness is actually better for the sake of the kingdom of God. Think about this. This is something I rarely hear taught. Singleness, 1 Corinthians 7, it's better for the sake of the kingdom of God. That means that celibacy for serving the Lord, if it's if you're celibate to serve the Lord, and you use that extra time and energy to serve God, you're without distraction, then that is a wonderful thing. But a lot of times Christians feel like maybe I'm called to celibacy. And what they really mean is nobody's really going to want to be with me. And that I think is is wrong and is not how you would determine uh, what your calling is. <laughs> um, nor do I think that God is necessarily making the decision for you. First Corinthians 7 implies that it's your decision to make. It's not something God is shoving upon you, right? That you have a decision, a choice to make. Do I want to be single and serve the Lord? Do I want to get married? And, and I can still serve God. Um, so these are decisions that you make for the glory of God. If you feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a weirdo, man. Nobody's going to want to be with me. That is just a lie. Okay. Look, I know lots of weirdos that are married. <laughs> That's probably not the best way to put it, but it's true, man. There's like plenty of people out there um, who could be compatible and a great fit. It's just hard, especially in modern society and our weird culture. It's sometimes it's hard to connect with people and build those relationships and move towards marriage in a good way. Um, those are different issues. Uh, different issues, yeah. But celibacy is a good thing, actually. But if it's like, if you're not wired for it, so to speak, and you're not committed to it, then I think you should seek to be married and you should seek a godly relationship above all else. Um, yeah, as far as the Catholic Church goes, um, haven't followed. I think that um, there, there's a specific specific scripture that refutes the idea that they should be telling people you can't get married. So when nuns can't get married and priests can't get married, this is not healthy. This is not right. It's not biblical and it causes lots of harm. That doesn't mean that telling people they can't get married makes them abuse other people. That's not the case. Okay, that's a different issue. There's something sick going on and um, and it's not just in the Catholic Church. It's in other places too. But yeah, very unfortunate, very sad. Um, question 13, Euro um, Purenimi, Purenimi, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But uh, Euro says, is it okay to non for a non-believer to sing in a worship band? Um, that's an interesting question. Let, let me just say this. I don't have 
like a clear scripture teaching about who can and can't be in a worship band. But I can apply biblical principles. And I know this. God hates worship in vain. Worship in vain. Empty worship. Worship that doesn't have the value of intent and meaning in the heart. Jesus said not to not to let our prayers be in vain. God says of, of some of the Israelites in the Old Testament, you worship me in vain. And I think a unsaved person as part of the worship band playing music, not unto the Lord, while it's supposed to be unto the Lord, is worshiping in vain. And so I, I think that's something that it seems to me there's a clear biblical principle that shows that this is a bad idea. Now, some would say, I'm, but, I'm, but I have them on my team as outreach. And I'm just going to say this, like, can you honestly not find other ways to do outreach? Like, why not make them your pastor as outreach? Why not make them your youth leader as outreach? Why not make them the children's ministry, you know, director as outreach? These are all ways of getting them to engage with you on a regular basis. But, but there's something we're sacrificing in the holiness of the worship of God when we, when we put them on our, our worship teams as outreach. Um, I'd rather just have one dude playing guitar and singing than a whole band full of skilled non-believers worshiping God in vain. In case you want to know my real opinion. <laughs> uh, Daniel Zaragoza says, Concerning theology, what are some questions that you personally have that still need to be answered? I've got a lot, Daniel. Um, um, I have questions about eschatology, about how to put together these massive portions of, of the Old Testament with the New Testament, especially Revelation. Revelation's like, um, like if you were a conspiracy theorist and you were like had that board on the back wall of your room and you had like, you know, this, this, the book of Revelation and you're using threads to connect. How does it connect to all these Old Testament passages? You would have just a wall of yarn, right? Because Revelation co connects to so many places in the scripture throughout the entire Old Testament. It's so complicated. It's very complicated. It doesn't mean you can't understand it. But if you want to understand the connections, that's challenging. And I've spent a lot of time on it, but I still want to understand it much better. I still have my own questions. And um, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I try not to t take a teaching stance on things that I feel like I don't understand well enough to teach. On some of those issues, that's the case. Um, the issue of once saved, always saved. Um, and, and, and all, that, that issue is not as simple as people think it is. It's actually rather complicated when you get into the details. Um, I, I have questions about that still. Now, here's the thing. Let me caution you. I have questions. That doesn't mean you can't have that figured out, right? I just haven't maybe spent the time on it, or maybe I've just been confused by somebody I've heard on the topic. So don't make, don't let me saying that cause you to think you're not supposed to have this figured out. Um, I just, I just, I don't know everything. <laughs> so I, there, there's some things I definitely am curious about. Want to want to study more, and there eventually I'll get to them. Um, okay, I'm gonna move a little quicker through the questions because of the time here. Um, so uh, 16 uh, from uh, Clara, she says, could you please ask Mike to please look into the Eth Sefer and translator Steve Pigeon, please. I, I haven't heard of that person. If that's something you guys want me to look into, maybe more people could comment down below and in the live chat. Yeah, please look into that. I don't even know what that is. Um, Alicia says, Alicia Huat says, do you believe in generational curses? If so, what is the biblical foundation for this? Uh, no, I don't. I don't believe in generational curses. I think that that's kind of a weird spooky ooky thing that's used to um, it, it ultimately not be helpful for people. Yeah, I mean, a gener you know, if you have multiple generations of a family that are all in rebellion to God, God will be bringing suffering upon them all, right? Yeah, but all it takes is one person who turns to the Lord at any point there and it 
And there's no like hanging curse upon their head. I'm trying to serve Christ, but God keeps punishing me because of what my grandpa did. Like, no, that's not, no, I don't see that in scripture. I think it taps into people's fears and it taps into an easy way to explain away why they have problems in their lives. And then they're looking to someone to come and like somehow lift the curse off of them. And it just ends up being weird. um, In my opinion, I don't see it in scripture. I mean, where in the new Testament do I see someone fighting a generational curse or I see the apostle Paul delivering someone from a generational curse. Like I don't, I think that's weird. Yeah. Uh, Michael Duke says, what is your view on husband of one wife as for qualifying for a pastor? Um, My view um, that's from the pastoral epistles. It's a requirement for leadership for an elder or bishop that he be the husband of just one wife. And I think this is a reference to, um, to him not having multiple wives. I think that it's a, it's a polygamy thing. You can't have multiple wives. Some people think this might be that he couldn't have been divorced and remarried. Um, that's a strange way of putting it though, isn't it? Husband of one wife. Why wouldn't Paul say he must not be divorced? Okay. That's, it's just a different issue. I'm not saying that doesn't apply to whether you can be a, a, you know, serve the Lord and all that. That's a different question, right? I'm just saying, I don't think that passage is about that. I think it's about polygamy. I, and, and you're like, was that mean the, the church was supporting polygamy? No, no, no. But when Paul's writing, these are like first generation Christians. So you might've been a polygamist and then you got saved and now you're following Jesus. Yet you were a polygamist before you got saved. And you have this really complex, weird family situation. It's just real life we're living in. And so Paul's like, yeah, you're still a Christian. You're still saved. But you know what? You can't be a leader in the church because of the decisions you made. You're not a good representative of what following Jesus is. So that would keep polygamy from being imported into the into the church by simply seeing former polygamists who got saved now becoming leaders. And then the, the congregation gets confused about what is is and isn't appropriate Christian behavior. Um Sebastian Kim says, thoughts on Emmanuel Swedenborg. I don't know who that is. I'm sorry. Um, I do get a lot of times questions from people asking me about certain ministries, and sometimes I haven't looked into them and haven't spent time on them, so I'm sorry. Uh, Nunya Bidness, I like your name. Nunya Bidness says, uh, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. That is on my list of, of things where I, I'm still not 100% sure. I'm gonna. I'm planning on teaching Mark verse by verse starting this year. And when I get to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do a whole week on the topic. There's several different possibilities. Um, I'm not going to try to unpack it here. I do think this. Whatever your conclusion on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if it makes you think that your salvation is hanging on you having not accidentally said the wrong thing one time, then I think you're misunderstanding what it is. Um, For instance, one possibility, which is quite possible, and maybe I'll teach slightly different later as I study this more and think about it more. One possibility is um, that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that they, they, they saw Jesus, they rejected Jesus, but they also rejected the testimony of the Holy Spirit about Christ. And so it's like you're not only one time rejected Jesus, you internally rejected and turned away from the work of God in your life to bring you to Christ. And this brought you to the place of a hardness of heart where you would never receive Christ, um, which would be a very different thing than just accidentally saying the wrong thing. Um, Number 21, Robert Dipmore, he says, uh, when adult children overstep their bounds and assume the authority to make unreasonable demands or risks uh, or risk a break in the relationship with them, what should a parent do? A video would be great. Um, Robert, I, I'm not sure. Um, 
here's the problem when it comes to counseling and I deal with, I I've dealt with lots of families and lots of scenarios. I feel like I never know what to tell them until I've listened to their whole story. I start all my counseling sessions the same way. I just sit there quietly on the phone or in person and I just listen for like an hour. That's what I do. Robert, to give you honest counsel, I would just have to listen to you for an hour and and maybe, you know, pray for wisdom and hear what you have to say and ask some questions and then maybe be able to give some counsel. I will say this, just, you know, the basic principles of walking in love, of walking in forgiveness and walking in grace and seeking unity and as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Like these are the principles to apply, but how do they work for that scenario? Uh, may God give you wisdom, sir. All right, last question for today. Uh, Bogdan, and I won't try to pronounce your last name, Bogdan. I will totally butcher it. Uh, but Bogdan says, uh, can you make a video about the apologetic reasons you believe in God? Uh, you mentioned a few in your Ricky Gervais video. Would like to see a full video on it. Actually, Bogdan, I love the idea of a video that's comprehensive, like here's a bunch of reasons to believe in God. And maybe I don't unpack them all in detail, but just to give a list, that would be pretty cool. Um, I will definitely think about doing that, but I will say, um, I think here's a few examples for you. I think there's evidence for God from prophecy. I think that the old Testament and new Testament tell the future and that we can, with extra biblical means, we can verify that those predictions came to pass. So like this really was written ahead of time and it really did happen afterward. We can use, you know, uh, extra biblical sources to confirm that prophecy did in fact happen. And I think that proves that God inspired the text of scriptures, that it was, it was basically has information that couldn't be from the mind of man. And it tells us it's from who it's from. So I think that that testimony then becomes um, weighty and powerful and true. Um, at least true as far as what we were aware of. It's always been true, but now we know it. Um I saw prophecies one. I think the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence for, for God. <laughs> I really do. I think that, um, that, that there's arguments from the, the necessity of God's existence. The ontological argument is one really interesting way of doing this. There's different ontological arguments, but, um, God must exist. Something necessary must exist, which gives rise to all other things, all other contingent things. I think that's another argument. I'm not putting it in a very good way here off, off the cuff, but I think that's another smart true way of presenting the evidence for God. I think um, um, the arguments dealing with naturalism, when you boil the world down to naturalism, uh, I think arguments against that promote that the that there is a supernatural ultimate reality. I think that um, the Kalam cosmological argument is good evidence for the existence of God, that the universe, if the universe, um, um, everything that, that begins to exist has a cause. That's the first premise. The second is the universe began to exist. And then the conclusion is that the universe has a cause. And then when you look at the universe and you go, well, what could cause the universe? Well, it, it, it's something other than itself. It wasn't self-caused. That, that, that's irrational. So it's something beyond space, time, matter, energy. Okay, well, what is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and incredibly powerful? Well, and then personal, if it, was, if it did this, if it chose to create... And there's a whole line of argument for why it would be personal. I think we have here a description of not just any old God. No, no. The God of monotheism, the God of Christianity, ultimately. Um, what else? The transformation of my own life, my relationship with God, my interaction with God. Um, the, uh, I mean, anyway, these are just a few off the top of my head, I think, that are good reasons to believe in God. And I'll add this. I don't know of a single good reason to not believe in God. And if someone says the problem of evil, I would say, well... Evil is a reason to believe in God because 
for evil and good to be genuine moral qualities and for us to be bound to do the good and not do the evil, we ultimately need God to be there. Um, and this is, yeah, it's, and then of course my favorite argument for God is common sense. It's just obvious that God exists and it is obvious to most, to most people, I think. Um, yeah. So thank you for that question. I, I may do like an actual thoughtful prepared video on that one day, but there's a few different um, answers they all should be expounded on a lot more. Thank you guys for joining with me today. Um, and thank you for the letters you you sent in and the tweets you put out and all that. And thank you to YouTube because, in look, if YouTube wanted to pick on me and shut me down, do you think they could? I think they could. Right? Um, no, what we have is a partnership here. YouTube is trying to be a place where a variety of voices can coexist and interact and people can find the content they want. And it wants to be a healthy community where a massive variety of stuff can happen, including what I'm doing here. And I'm actually really grateful um, for that. So, so thank God. Thank you. And uh, thank you too. So I will see you guys on um, Monday. I'll put out a video on how the seven feasts of Israel represent Christ. That's going to be exciting. And then Tuesday we'll be doing a live stream, probably a Q and a, uh, because I'm just not going to be able to prepare most likely because I've been doing other things. So um, yeah, Lord bless you guys. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you soon.